Welcome to Paranormal Distributions with Connor and Cypress, bringing you spooky stories from the depths of the internet. We kinda sorta believe. We've been working on a great story for y'all. I'm really excited about this. It's partially paranormal, partially true mystery. Yeah. Which I think is a good combination of all the things yeah. that we do. It's it's a history mystery, which is, as you all know, my favorite kind. And it also rhymes, so it's there's really that. It's really cute. And it's maritime. Oh, yeah. Maritime, it lends a sense of romanticism yeah. to a mystery, I think. That, uh, you, you know, you always think, oh, this was a mystery committed in some hotel. Like, we've covered something yeah. like that. We've covered... Um, stages and the stagehand thing. I feel like the setting matters a lot. It can't just be like, oh, this was in a, this was happened in the park. Or it has to be somewhere so normal, like somewhere that, like the Twin Peaks effect of like, Mm. this is an entirely normal little suburb of a town. Yeah. So you almost subvert the, like the feeling of safety that you have there. But like, we all know that the sea is super dangerous anyways, and you probably shouldn't go on it. So it's a natural candidate for, for spooky shit Mm -hmm. because who knows what's down there. Giant squids. That's what's down there. But for sure the Kraken. Yep. Um, anyway, so, if you haven't figured it out already, we're going to talk about ghost ships. Ghost ships. Oh, so good. I spent a long time this morning texting Cypress emojis of ghosts and ships. <laughs> <laughs> so, tell me about what a ghost ship is. Is uh, it a ghost that is a ship? No, it's not. So, a ghost ship is... Is it a bed sheet with a ship underneath it? No, that was a bad guess, Connor. <laughs> uh... A... A ghost ship is a ship with no living crew aboard. So it can be a ship with, that's completely empty, that's been discovered, just floating. Or it could be a ship with dead crew aboard or potentially ghostly Ghost crew. crew. Yeah, the zombie crew. Whoa. Um, yeah, one of the most famous ghost ships that I think people will know about from a specific Disney movie is The Flying Dutchman. Oh, because, I thought you were going to say Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, it's it, that was the one, I think, in oh. the Pirates movies. But is, that was the Black Pearl. Well, okay, yeah. that's I guess sort of a ghost ship as well. But the the one that was famously had the Davy uh, Jones, all the dead crew yeah, on it. Yeah, okay. Well, hold on. Wasn't the Black Pearl I, also... They were cursed in a way that they were like in limbo or something. Technically, they were dead. All the, all the Pirates fans are going to be mad at me now. Honestly, they were a very long time ago, and there are a lot of them, so so I don't remember. Yeah, they're like seven or something. There's like a a million. There's just so many. But in the second one, I think, or the third one, the the squid face guy... Joffrey Rush. yeah, Yeah. He has a crew of, like, waterlogged... Barnacle boys. Yeah, Barnacle boys. Jeffrey and his Barnacle boys... (laughs) are aboard their ship that rose from the Davy Jones locker at the yes. bottom of the sea. And that ship was the Flying Dutchman. And it's uh, been covered yeah. a lot in popular culture, Pirates of the Caribbean being one of them. And it is a legendary ship that is permanently adrift at sea, cannot set cannot set foot on land. And when sailors interact with it, if, they, if they're at, at sea, they often try to contact their loved ones at home through the sailors they meet. But all the people that they tell the sailors they want to send letters to are long deceased because they've been at sales for such a long time. So they no longer are in touch with the living on in any country because everybody that they knew has since passed away. This Isn't reminds it? me, it's kind of a very off topic, but have you ever heard the song Charlie on the MTA? Oh, it's basically Charlie, but 
but it's instead. It's Charlie and the MTA is a bus. It's but it's a song by the Kingston Trio, and it's about a man who gets on the MBTA, the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority. So like our public transportation system, which is garbage. Um, and he doesn't have enough money for the new exit fares, so he has to stay forever on the MTA, and his wife just passes him sandwiches through the moving train window, which is so... Why shouldn't... Why can't she just pass him a fucking nickel, but, like... And now in Boston, the card that you use to swipe onto the... M, the what's now is known as the MBTA is called a Charlie card. Which is kind of cruel. Like, it's dark. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so the Flying Dutchman was a naval equivalent of what happened in this song and they could never set down pretty much they could never set down on land forever cursed to not be able to pay the docking fee i get i mean yeah yeah so uh the, the, but that's one famous example of a ghost ship which, which was also ghostly and that the crew were or ghosts yeah the crew were spirit spirits slash demons i'm not really sure i think it probably varies Barnacle um, boys yeah i'm just gonna go with that i'm just gonna call them <laughs> that from now on because i really like it. fair enough i think that's a good name for any ghost ship crew um but also like it can be ships that people see that can't be that can't be there mm-hmm. there have been lots of um sightings of apparitions of ships yes uh, which is cool um or it can be a real ship as in it's 100 percent above board does exist people saw it people walked on it people got it back and everyone is just gone so kind of a closed room mystery aboard yeah, this vessel the cl- most closed of rooms because you're in the middle of the fucking ocean uh, it Where could be considered the most open of rooms connor oh wow I think that's my problem with it, because as we all know, I like dark, closed spaces. (laughs) The ocean is dark, but probably not the most closed of spaces. No, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of space for you to get lost, but also like not a lot of places to go. Yeah. Because you're kind of stuck on the ship. And that's what makes it so fascinating that when you have... You know, how does somebody disappear from a locked room? How does somebody disappear from a ship in the middle of the ocean? Yeah. Like, why would you ever get off your ship? Yeah. Because that seems like a bad idea. Yeah. And uh, so do you want to talk about some of the mirage type ships that people have seen? They're called Fata Morganas, Mm -hmm. which is a mirage. And you can see, like, there are pictures of these online. It straight up does look like there's a ship there. Um. Because it either changes the shape of a distant boat and, like, makes it look giant, even though it's, like, somebody's little rowboat. Mm-hmm. Or it's, like, a, just a trick of the eye from, like, a landmass in the distance that, like, makes it look like there's a ship when there isn't, uh, which is super cool. And the Flying Dutchman is one of them. Um, because it makes it look like the water ends like it makes it look like the horizon is only so high and then the ship is much higher than the so even if a captain got his little um what what do they use telescope it's not a telescope um spyglass spyglass he got his captain spyglass out and he looked at the horizon close up he would still see this image yeah or it'll like he'll see this image and um it, it so the the flying dutchman was supposed to have be able to like rise up from the water right oh and that's the flying part yeah that's the flying part and so it's like a, when the cuz the air is full of water so it reflects off of the ocean mm-hmm. and the water particles and it makes it look like the ship is flying or is flipped over in the air Mm-hmm. like upside down yeah like refraction of, yeah, of light exactly stuff. okay um or you can see like ships that are technically behind you oh but they're being reflected onto the water so it like mm-hmm. is a ghost ship 
And people are like, I swear to God, I saw a ship there. And then it comes from the other direction. Mm -hmm. And they're like, whoa, spooky. That is crazy. But it's just science. There's also a cool thing where people see Fata Morganas and they think they're UFOs. Ooh. Because you see all of these like shapes out on the water. Uh Uh-huh. And they look like they're flying. But they're actually just one boat that's being reflected multiple times. All right, this is a quote from a book called Roundabout Rambles and Lands of Fact and Fancy by Frank Richard Stockton. And he was talking about explaining the Fata Morgana and gave an account of captain and crew talking about them. So the quote is, The news soon spread through the vessel that a phantom ship with a ghostly crew was sailing in the air over a phantom ocean. And that that was a bad omen. It meant that not one of them should ever see land again. The captain explained to the sailors that the strange appearance was caused by the reflection of some ship that was sailing on the water. Soon after, the steamship itself came into sight. The sailors were now convinced and never afterwards believed in the phantom ships. So the captain was kind of educating the sailors about, you know, this, sometimes you see this shit and the... Yeah. <laughs> it... it, it Sometimes, you for a little bit and then you, and you see the real one. And Sometimes you haven't seen a lady in a really long time and a manatee looks like a mermaid. Well, mermaids are, are quite manatee-like because they have those tails, right? Yeah, but that's really what... big, thick, blubbery tails. Well, yeah, except they look like sea potatoes. But if you haven't seen a lady in 18 months... Yeah, heck, I can't remember what ladies look like. Is <laughs> Most that a... <laughs> of the time. It doesn't look like a guy. I'm pretty sure it's a lady. <laughs> So, <laughs> um, yeah. What's your fave ghost ship? Uh, so I've read most about Mary Celeste. Yeah, so did I yeah. because we coordinated that. Yeah, that was a good, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so let's talk about Mary Celeste. So the Mary Celeste started its life as a ship called the Amazon. Mm-hmm. And it is definitely 100% cursed. It is cursed as shit. Mm-hmm. Do not. I really like the idea of cursed objects. Yeah, especially cursed ships because you get on it and then you're like, oh, well, I'm fucked. I'm in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. On a cur- like my my home is cursed now, but there's no other place I can go. Yeah. And also they're like already anthropomorphized. Anthropomorphized. Yeah. Whatever. Something because like, like we that. give them like lady names and we refer to them as she, mm-hmm. right? And people are like, oh, she's a beauty. Like you refer to like ships as some sort of like human with personality and a name. And, mm-hmm. and so the idea of the ship being actively angry and trying to kill you is great. Mm-hmm. But also just like in general, I enjoy cursed objects or objects with wills. Anytime, any story that involves somebody finding something in an antique shop that is the cause of their downfall i'm like very into oh that is such a good story though yeah like you if that if it starts with that i will read it all the way through yeah um and so the amazon was built in late of 1860s in spencer's island which is right off of the bay of fundy in nova scotia Mm -hmm. which i went to last year oh cool and it's gorgeous it's beautiful and there's a very cool maritime museum there mm-hmm. um there's a ton in massachusetts and connecticut too but they had a big they had like the first diving suit Whoa. like so was, it was a giant iron construction yeah, like an iron suit mm-hmm. that somebody could go down into the ocean with which is the first time anyone had ever done that um and they had an exhibit on the hms terror which is a shipwreck that they just found that the Native American people in the area were like, it's over there. And people were like, we can't find it. And the Native American people are like, no, it's, yeah, it's over little, there. A little warmer. We're telling, we've been telling you this for 60 years. And then some white guy's like, we found it. And all of the Native people were like, yup. <laughs> Great job. <laughs> Good a job. Plus. Um, but so it was built on Spencer's Island. Mm-hmm. And the economy of nova scotia and that that very far eastern part of canada it was all maritime it, the area is called the maritimes mm-hmm. um they would run 
run supplies back and forth to London from all along the east coast of the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so this ship is supposed to go to London and her first captain first takes her to Five Islands, which is right in upper central Nova Scotia. And as the ship is being loaded, he starts to feel sick. They go back to Spencer's Island and he dies very shortly after. Um, then a man named John Nutting Parker takes command, resumes the voyage to London, and ran into more trouble. So this original captain got sick and died? Yeah, before the ship even started, essentially. Do, do you think that was maybe part of the curse? Yes. Okay. Straight up, yes. Yeah. Um, so the Amazon then hits fishing equipment in the narrows of Eastport, Maine. And after it got to London, it hit and sank a bridge in the English Channel, this, to me, maybe suggests that John and Nutting Parker wasn't such a great captain because maybe you should stop running into things. So he sank a whole bridge? He fucking sank another boat. Oh, a, a, a brig? A, a bri- brig. Okay, I, mis- I misheard. Wow, okay. Yeah, like you just ran into another boat and sank it. Ugh. That's Learn to drive your ship Yeah, I'm not going to blame that one on the cursed ship, buddy. Yeah, that's just him being, he literally doesn't know how to drive. So after that, so after that, the next captain, William Thompson, runs it for a couple of years with no incident until he runs the ship aground in 1867 during a storm. She's so badly damaged that her owner owners abandon her as a wreck, and a guy named Ale- Alexander McBean acquires her as a derelict. I love his name, Alexander McBean. <laughs> <laughs> that or like he makes whiskey alexander mcbean would be the type of person to buy derelict ships yeah exactly i bet he's like very salty yeah and wears one of those hats with the little brims Uh uh-huh for sure yeah um so then it changes hands a bunch of times which is really boring and long and people should really be better about not getting their ships seized for non-payment of debts which i guess happened a lot um, and then she was repaired and renamed the Mary Celeste during that time. And I heard uh, expanded yeah. in size too, right? Yeah. So originally when she was built, she was 99.3 feet, which is the most maddening. Like, couldn't you just add another 0.3? And, or another like 0.66 feet and yeah, make it a hundo? Like, couldn't you just tack something onto the end, please? Did they? No. Oh. Then they overshot. She was 103 feet. Oh. Which, like, guys. <laughs> guys. You're really bad at this. <laughs> I just want it to be neat. Um, I don't really know how they make ships bigger, but seems seems about as hard as making a whole new ship. Sound like they renovated it. Like, but, the, like you'd renovate a house. Yeah, but, like, I don't know. Ships seem like different than houses in a lot of ways. Yeah. And one of them is they're like the bit in the middle is supposed to be a single piece of wood. Yeah, they, they have to be watertight. So I imagine you don't want tacked on yeah, additions. You can't, just, you can't just add a extension. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Put like another knows? captain's quarters on the side. Yeah, you can't just build a garage on the side. No. Anyway, if anyone knows how ships are made bigger... Right in, because I don't even know how to Google that. Um, how ships... Hold on. <laughs> how ships made bigger. Oh, yeah. See, that's not... It's failing me. It's just saying how much bigger can ships get the biggest container ship, list of longest ships, which is a cool subject. Yeah. Feel like oh, this. here's one. Ships, how do they float? Everybody wants to know. How, how do planes fly upside down? I don't know about buoyancy, so tell me. <laughs> How does ship float? <laughs> How does ship float? <laughs> okay, let's go on to the... Yeah. yeah. Okay, so its new captain is named Benjamin Briggs. He was born in Wareham, Massachusetts. I'm probably not saying that name right. It's probably like Worm? Worm? Worm. Worm, Massachusetts. Um, That's definitely not an accent anybody here would have, but let's go with that. I mean, Worcester. Massachusetts. Yeah, was Le- Leminster? Uh, no, I mean I I think the the pronunciation worm is just fine, but the way I said it was Oh, yeah. It's probably something like worm though. Yeah. Um 
So he chose his crew really carefully. He didn't drink. He was known as a competent and respected seaman. In October of 1872, he leaves from New York for Genoa uh, and with his wife and his two-year-old daughter. And the ship is carrying 1,701 barrels of denatured alcohol. They're really bad at this rounding I, thing, God, it just makes me so mad. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he's leaving for Genoa. And he makes it how far? Pretty far, almost there, right? Yeah, they make it to the Zorius Islands, pretty much, which is uh, kind of close to Portugal. And then what happens? And then, so they uh, let's be clear about the dates. They left on 1872. Um, October 20. They get as far as Staten Island, which is like still New York. And then they, so they didn't really leave. Yeah. They, well, they left the port that they're in on manhattan or whatever yeah and then they and then they anchored again they're like oh it's a little not the best weather and then so they leave on november 7th they're discovered pretty close to azores islands they were only out for about a month before they were discovered yeah and how were they discovered uh alive and well well wouldn't you like to know so this other (laughs) captain shows up with his ship he sees them floating around and their, their sails are kind of in a funky position. I don't know anything about sailing, so I can't describe what how their sails were set, but it looked odd. Yeah, the like other, the ship wasn't like moving normally. It was like... It was kind of like wasn't catching the wind. Yeah. And the other captain hailed the ship, but nobody responded. So eventually, after trying a few more times, they took a boarding crew and uh, rode over to the ship and climbed up on it. And... They notice that it's the Mary Celeste because I think I guess it has this name on, on it. the side. Yeah. yeah, and they, so they had heard about it or they knew about it. The captain starts investigating to see if he can find anybody. He's calling out for people. He looks in all the cabin areas and investigates the hold, and he can't find anybody. Nobody's on the ship. And there's a really good reenactment early unsolved mysteries show about this right yeah so the history channel in the 1980s was an excellent thing apparently and they had leonard nimoy narrating an entire episode about this one ship that's so good um so this captain eventually decided this is an abandoned ship there's nobody on board but it wasn't just that like they packed up and left it's like well, the, the the lifeboat was missing. The lifeboat was missing, but everything was where it was supposed to be. The kids' toys and clothes were strewn about, mm-hmm. and there was a sewing machine sitting on the table with a pile of things to repair next to it. Yeah, so they may have left in a hurry. I don't know. They also had... It, there was evidence that the ship had encountered some bad weather. It was a little bit dinged up. Not much. It was certainly in sailing condition and seaworthy still. It had some water in the hold, but again, not enough to sink it or anything serious. Mm -hmm. And if you abandon a ship for a lifeboat, which is tiny and definitely not seaworthy, there better be something very wrong with your ship because you're basically committing to floating around the ocean on a lifeboat if if you don't. Yeah, that has to be the better choice. Yeah, so the captain, according to all accounts, was extremely experienced and wouldn't have abandoned his ship without a really good reason yeah and so the way it was found was that the sails were partly set and in poor condition some of them were entirely missing most of the rigging was damaged and with like ropes hanging over the side of the ship Mm -hmm. like they had been torn the main hatch cover was closed but the fore and lazarette hatches were open, which I assume are smaller entrances into the bottom of the ship, mm-hmm. um, with their covers beside them on the deck. The ship's single lifeboat, which was a small yawl, um, was missing, but the binnacle in the ship's compass had its glass cover broken. And there was about three and a half feet of water in the hold. Um and a makeshift sounding rod was found on the deck. And sounding rods measure the depth of water. Cool. 
so they had been trying to observe like how much the ship was filling with water yeah like. like they knew that it was a problem um the last entry on the ship's daily log was dated november 25th which was nine days earlier at eight in the morning and it recorded the position um about 400 miles from where it was found currently mm -hmm. uh and the cabin interiors were wet and untidy from water that had entered through the doorways and skylights, but were otherwise totally fine. And all of the cargo was fine. Yes. They had a lot of barrels, the hundred and... Seventeen hundred and one. Seventeen hundred and one barrels of alcohol. Uh, there were five, I think, barrels that were empty. Uh-huh. But they were made of red oak instead of white oak. Which is more prone to leaking. So how big is one of these barrels, I wonder? So I went to um, a maritime recre recreative museum oh. in Mystic, Connecticut. Because I always visit maritime museums because I'm a huge nerd. Okay. Um, and there's this place in Mystic, Connecticut that is an entire recre recreation of a Victorian um, boat shipping town. Oh, a town. Okay. And they have working, they they restore ships histor in historically accurate ways. Mm -hmm. And they have the town, which is both like a museum and also the blacksmith makes the tools that they use on repairing the ships. Oh, cool. Yeah. And they had a cooper there. And a cooper is a person who makes barrels. Mm -hmm. That's what that name comes from. Mm -hmm. And he told us all about how barrels were made. And there would be a person on these ships whose job it was to take care of the barrels because you have to keep the barrels wet. Otherwise, the wood contracts and they stop being useful. Okay. Um, they also come on the ship in pieces and then you put them together on the ship. And they're, they're about, they're probably like my hip height. So mm -hmm. like about maybe two and a half to three feet. Mm -hmm. Um. So they're big things, and like probably my arms can go, can't really go around one. They're big. Okay, so giant barrels. Giant barrels, and they have that curved side. These are like in you, in a movie with pirates. There's like a stowaway in a barrel. Is yes. that kind of barrel. Yeah, okay. that kind of barrel. Did you know that they're curved on the side so that when you roll them, they roll in a straight line because they balance. Oh. If you had just a cylinder, it would like. If it was slightly irregular, it would go off in a yeah at an angle. But if you have it in that curved barrel shape, neat. You can hit one side and it'll tip back up onto its end and it's a lot easier to navigate with oh. when you're rolling it on its side smart thanks cooper guy from the mystic museum <laughs> <laughs> i spent all day in this museum it was the best day of my that, life that's very you <laughs> um anyway <laughs> so yeah so there were a couple of barrels that were empty but maybe they the alcohol had just evaporated hmm but if alcohol of that quantity evaporates isn't that like bad probably and that's one of the the things that they thought maybe was why it had been abandoned they abandoned the whole ship just because a barrel evaporated well if you start smelling alcohol mm -hmm. which is incredibly it's denatured alcohol it's not like vodka yeah so the stuff that will make you blind if you drink it. Yeah, stuff that'll make you blind if you drink it and also like explodes if it moves around too much. Which if you're in a storm and the mm. ship is going crazy, you don't want to be around 1,701 barrels of denatured alcohol. Does it really explode if it moves though? I feel that's, like that's what it said on well, the internet. No, really? Connor? Yeah. Denatured alcohol explodes if it moves around. I think you can. I think if you create enough energy by shaking it, it'll explode. That sounds like the top result for denatured alcohol explodes on Google is mm -hmm. a YouTube video titled "Fun with Denatured Alcohol." God, kids. But also, it's so ethanol um, is flammable at a temperature less than ambient or 72 degrees wait so is it flashpoint it's um less than that or is it it's flashpoint for denatured alcohol is 55 degrees fahrenheit no way that's what it says that then then it would just explode all over the place at room temperature 
I think you have to keep it pretty cold. I don't know. It's not a thing. This is what the internet is telling me. Also, but the last time I took... um, I took chemistry chemistry was high school like sophomore year of high school okay yeah if you google denatured alcohol flashpoint the top result from google says 55 degrees fahrenheit which is weird but seems wrong seems seems shady i'm no yeah i'm not trusting what i'm reading here huh um oh the minimum temperature of a gaseous fuel in the presence of ignition source that produces a visible flame is the flashpoint. So that's believable. Yeah. You just have to have an ignition source and some oxygen to to uh, to actually start it. So, okay. So let's say it's easy to light on fire with an ignition source. Yeah. Which, like, maybe if there was a small fire on the ship. Yeah. I imagine they had some kind of thing to make fires because yeah. it's like... Because you got to cook and stuff. Yeah, right. Um, and if there's if there's gas like if it's evaporating and there's gas floating in the air, yeah, for sure that would be really dangerous for for fires, right? Yeah, like if you start smelling alcohol on this ship, that means it's evaporating, it's getting out of the barrels. Yeah, then you're that's I think a pretty good reason to abandon ship. Okay, so we've established it's very flammable. It has potentially been leaking. Yeah, out of these barrels. Well, there we know that four of the barrel. How many? 1,701. Well, uh, four, four of them? Is that Oh, the yeah. There was like a couple of them. Yeah. So a few barrels were empty, whereas they probably had been full originally. Well, so yeah. If they, because ships, because ship barrels aren't brought onto the ship when they're constructed, mm-hmm. they're brought on bundled together. Mm-hmm. Like the slats are all separate and then you knock them together mm-hmm. when you're on the ship. So they must have had something in them because they were. Yeah. Together. Why would they go to the bo- like? Why would they bother constructing them? Yeah. Otherwise. Okay. So there. Okay. There, there's these barrels, and the crew is missing. The crew's just missing, including the wife and child. And the captain who found who found the ship was able to sail it back to land safely. Okay. So they manned it. Yeah. And they got it back to Gibraltar, basically. Yeah. So in Gibraltar, there was kind of a commotion because they show up with this salvaged ship that had very clearly recently, um, you know, gone astray of its course. And the court there, the, uh, what was his name? Don't have the name of the guy written down. That's dumb. Anyway, there was a, uh, there was an attorney who took control of this court case. Flood? Attorney Flood was his name. And he was kind of a stubborn pig-headed guy. Wait, from... there's a really good quote about this. There's definitely a good quote. My actually my favorite quote about the Mary Celeste is about this this one guy. Um so he was the attorney general of Gibraltar, Frederick Soli Flood, and also advocate general and proctor for the Queen. And he was described by a historian as a man, quote whose arrogance and pomposity were inversely proportional to his IQ and, quote, the sort of man who, once he made up his mind about something, could not be shifted. You just all, like, you know people like this. And they're all, like, mediocre dudes who are so sure they're so smart and they just make your eyes roll so far back in your head they get lost. He's like an old bulldog, right? He's super stubborn and super... Or just like so sure of his own superior intellect that you couldn't possibly be right. He must be right. And you're like, you literally are an actual idiot. Yeah. So this guy is in charge of the case of the ship and or of the hearing, Mm -hmm. um, which they're doing a few things. They're trying to determine what happened to the ship and they're trying to determine its salvage value, which is important because people get paid based on what they find in the ocean. Right. Mm hmm. And immediately Flood starts an investigation and is somehow convinced he's he's gotten this belief in his mind that there was foul play, that there had to be some sort of a crime. Oh, yeah, there was definitely a crime. So he approaches it from that angle. And first he finds 
some scratches on the bow of the ship and he says oh these cuts were were caused by an attacking person someone was trying to attack the ship and then he looks more in the ship and he finds a sword the captain's sword which is sheathed under the captain's bed kind of in a normal position and he analyzes it and he says oh there's blood stains on this sword it must have been used for foul play and then he keeps he keeps looking around and he notices the same thing that you talked about these missing alcohol barrels Uh or the barrels that are empty and he immediately says the crew must have gotten drunk on this on alcohol five barrels of denatured alcohol like mm-hmm. yep this okay is, yeah so the so they drank this poisonous alcohol and they went into a murderous drunken rage and killed the captain and his and his wife and i guess whatever happened to the crew we're gonna ignore that for now they all just skedaddled you know because they, they had to flee the scene of the crime yeah and so that was his theory this is one of his big theories and let's ignore the fact that you know they couldn't have actually consume this alcohol because it wasn't potable it yeah. was not meant for human consumption um there and was will a... literally make you blind which makes it pretty difficult to kill someone yeah but whatever so another thing is he decided that the ship was not run aground that the marks on its hull were just from some attacker so it had some cuts and yeah. they were clearly from, he thought they're from, you know, someone slashing at it. Yeah. I don't really understand when they say that, like, is it like on the sides bottom of the ship, like the outside of the ship? Yeah. Like how could someone have done that? Yeah. I guess if there's a boarding party. Maybe, but like, it sounds like it knocked against something, like it scraped against something. Yeah. But he didn't believe that. Well, also, stupid. he thought that there was a mark on the uh on what part of this ship is this he thought that the railing on the ship i guess around the edge oh, of the ship yeah. had been cut by an axe and that there were blood traces stains. of of blood like in that railing where it had been cut with an axe it was clearly like there had been an axe murderer on yeah. the ship too which is I'm just going to say right now, like, there are very plausible explanations that do not involve pirates or spooky crimes. And, upon yeah, upon further investigation, every single thing that he found was proven to be wrong. Yeah. So there were no bloodstains on the sword. It was just, like, paint. Yeah, it was an old sword they used to mix paint. The... Uh, the blood he thought was in the axe cut on the railing was just rust. rust. And then there was the marks on the side of the ship were determined to be wear and tear from the sea. Yeah. So he very much wanted it to be a crime, which kind of also raises like, why? Like, why do you want it to be spooky so bad? But yeah. I guess... He thought he had the mystery of the century on his hands and he got really into it. He also, around this time, journalists started picking up on the story. So... Mm-hmm. He so may he have been influenced. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other theories of foul play do exist, though, that are not involved with this Inspector Flood bozo. Um, the, that it had been insurance fraud, um, where it had been overinsured, and that. Captain Briggs and Captain Morehouse, who found the ship, were in league together. So Captain Briggs was the captain who disappeared from yeah. the ship, and Captain Morehouse was the one who found it. Yeah. That makes sense, because if I was a captain and I had a really expensive... So it was insured for like a lot of money, yeah. basically. Yeah, because it was holding a lot really of... Really expensive property. Um, if I had this really expensive property, I would assume that I could easily stage some kind of disappearance on the ocean, and find eventually recover the the actual value of the ship but also collect insurance money is that how it work yeah i think so that way that like the people who like the owners of the mary celeste would get their insurance money but all of the goods were still there so they could still sell a bunch of it oh yeah but also you know if you're gonna plan that kind of a scam why would you make such an intention drawing mystery why would you publicize it at all? Yeah, this thing is one of the most famous disappeared ships cases in history, yeah. or disappeared crew cases. So 
they were doing a bad job of of keeping it low profile yeah also um captain briggs who disappeared had a son who was in school at the time so disappearing with your whole family and leaving your son behind seems one either a terrible thing to do or not a thing you would do at all yeah maybe he hated his son and he wanted that insurance money yeah and clearly like, captain finally, briggs you can get rid of this awful kid never wanted that that one child, just the other one. Yeah. He had a kid on board, too. Yeah, like a baby girl. Who's yeah, so he, so he took his favorite child, child on board, and he left his son in That's school. So mean. Yeah, and then they fled to... They fled with the insurance money to live in, like, East India or something for for the rest of their lives, yeah. and they never saw their son again, um, of course. Another theory is that pirates off of the coast of Morocco attacked them, uh-huh. but everything was in, still in the ship, and why would they kill you and just leave all of your stuff yeah so there weren't any signs of a struggle either it looked like a planned that it looked like they had planned to leave yeah like a quick but orderly leaving Uh uh-huh they definitely didn't pack up all of their stuff but nothing was messed up and all their valuables were on board yeah except for two of the sailors two of the sailors took their valuables had had no stuff on board Hmm. Yeah, but they had been in a shipwreck earlier that year, so it's possible they just didn't have any gear. Oh, <laughs> the two of the sailors didn't have any stuff on board, but they also just didn't have any stuff. Maybe. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and another historian named John Gilbert Lockhart mm-hmm. in 1925 thought that Briggs, in a fit of religious mania, had slaughtered the entire crew and then killed himself. So how would he take on the entire crew? I don't know, but he had to apologize to Briggs's descendants and withdrew that theory later. So Fair enough. And his name is Lockhart, so I'm pretty sure he was a shit author. Yeah, I assume from Harry Potter that yeah. he was exactly like... That's an unfortunate like uh, title to have. Lockhart is yeah. the same as Gilroy Lockhart, yes. Well, actually, why would... You... So if you were post in the post Harry Potter era, if your last name was Lockhart... Would you just feel bad about being an author? No, I would go for it. Okay. I would use that. Yeah, milk it. Yeah. Totally. But also, like, it's a very good last name. It is. So. It's true. Um, other theories are natural phenomena, which include water spouts, which we oogled at for a while. Again, it's just similar to if you Google exploding um, <laughs> denatured alcohol. If you Google water spout... The top video is like fun with water spouts on YouTube and it's a family like on vacation in Florida or something and their vacation home is right next to a water spout that it's basically a tornado that carries water up into it. Like imagine Sharknado but without the sharks (laughs) and it's just right outside their their deck and they're like, ooh, look at this water spout. And then you're like, please evacuate this area. And you hear the guy... And his this guy in his salmon shorts or whatever, he's like, oh, oh my, oh. And his like, camera starts shaking and he starts running and you're like, uh, oh, you guys are is... idiots. Uh, but now we have footage of a water spout great. up close. If you can, please do Google them though because they look nuts. They're just beams of water that go to the sky. It looks like I can entirely understand how somebody would think this was the hand of God. Yeah. Or like the straw, at least. Yeah. He's sucking up some tasty salt water. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. The straw of God. <laughs> so the the water spout could have done something to the ship? Yeah, so if they hit one, um, maybe it like covered the ship in water. And that would explain how much water there was in the ship and the fact that things were wet, like Mm. the insides of the cabins were wet, uh, and the bad state of the sails and rigging. And then the low barometric pressure generated by the spout could have driven the water from the bilges up into the pumps, leading the crew to assume that the ship had taken on more water than they actually had. Whoa, so they could have looked down in the ship and been like, oh, look, the water's rising so quick, but it's really just the pressure, the atmospheric pressure is like changing so rapidly and the, the, the water's been forced up yeah into the higher parts of the ship that's so. insane i think also that would explain why everything is wet it wasn't like the inside of the cabin wet yeah from... so like all of the doors and walls were wet yeah and every like all of their belongings were wet but nothing was 
damaged. Really. I guess if you're on the sea for a month, though, everything's going to be wet anyway. Yeah, probably. I don't know about ships. Someone correct me, probably. I'm sure somebody will email yeah. <laughs> telling us we're wrong. So the water spout sounds like a plausible thing. Yeah, like that actually is a pretty good solution to this mystery. Um, others are displaced icebergs. Um, the fear of running aground while being becalmed. Or a sudden sea quake, which I didn't realize is a thing, but I totally make sense that it is. Yeah, isn't that what causes tsunami? Where you have know. a giant shift, uh, shift in the tectonic plate, and then the water will, yeah, start. Uh, the water will be falling all of a sudden, and then like, you know, that's terrifying. Yeah, I, this is one of the reasons the ocean is terrifying. Yeah, don't go in the fucking ocean. Um. There is evidence that an iceberg had drifted. So a hydrographical evidence, which I don't really know what that means. I guess that means geography of the sea. Okay. Um, suggests that icebergs that far south are probably not super common. Okay. Um, but it had done it to other ships before. So like hitting an iceberg where there shouldn't be icebergs was a thing. Um or that the ship had become became becalmed, which means they couldn't move anywhere and started drifting towards Dalabara Reef off of the Santa Maria Island. Mm-hmm. Um, so they thought that if they launched the yawl and they could reach ground, and then the wind picked up and blown the Mary Celeste away from the reef, um, while the sea rose and sank the lifeboat there was a description of this which i found the most chilling thing honestly where someone was saying imagine being one of the sailors you get the yawl the lifeboat out you everybody piles in and you think that you're going to be able to get back to your ship but your ship your home is suddenly being blown away yeah and you can never reach it again it's just going out somewhere into the atlantic and you're stuck in a tiny boat and you're going a different direction and now or you're just main, maintaining your position and, and you can go kind of fast but you cannot get anywhere near the speed of your your ship yeah and you just have to watch it fade slowly oh away and it takes hours to disappear off to the horizon and then it's gone then you're just stuck in the middle of nothing you're kind of like oh come on that ship oh, fuck that's so scary so i feel like that's probably one of the things that's most frightening about this to me is that eventually these people they thought their ship they thought they had to get off for some reason yeah they wanted to get off for some reason and they never got back on they got off and then they could still see their old ship if they didn't sink the all immediately yeah they could still see that their ship was there and that hadn't gotten destroyed yeah and then since it's the ocean i'm sure they could see it off into the horizon for quite a while yeah after they left it um a Evidence against this theory, though, that says that if they had been becalmed, all the sails would have been set to catch any available breeze. But the ship was found with many of its sails foiled. So they, so they didn't prepare for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the sea quake evidence says that the turbulence on the surface to dam to damage parts of the cargo released noxious fumes. So that's when they started smelling alcohol and thinking they need to get off because it's they think it's going to explode. Mm. Um, and the displaced hatches, so part of the hatches were open, mm-hmm. um, suggests that they inspected or attempted to air out the hold. Are the hatches usually closed the whole yeah, ship? Because it's just cargo that they're not going to ever use. Yeah, they're going to close those things like there's... Only if there's somebody down there do they open. Mm-hmm. Like, ships are run pretty tightly. So, like, you don't leave holes in the ground because somebody can fall down them. Oh, yeah. Right? That's smart. Yeah. So, like, the fact that they were left open is kind of weird. Um, and in 1886, there was a case where a vessel carrying alcohol had exploded. Oh. So, there was... So, there's um, precedent for this. Yeah. Okay. They... Uh, so, they didn't necessarily encounter like a dangerous storm no they might not have at all they might have just had some sort of damage to the ship either through a sea quake or just 
something had messed with the barrels mm-hmm. and um, caused the alcohol to seep. Yeah, I would get off the ship if I thought it was going to yeah. explode. Or there might have been an explosion. Ooh, yeah. Except that there was no charring found, except that somebody did a lab experiment with high-pressure um, explosions, and it didn't leave any residue, and it didn't leave any burn marks. Yeah, the alcohol burned real quickly, and the flame just swept through the area without leaving much smoke or residue. Yeah. So it could very possibly be that those empty barrels did light on fire. Yeah, I guess the thing that really this mystery is, is something had to have scared them so badly that they left the ship. Yeah. But not been harmful enough to sink the ship. Yeah. And that's what makes it so compelling, I think, that they they must have had such a good reason to get off of this ship. Mm-hmm. And risk their lives in a tiny lifeboat in the middle of the ocean also when they were first um about to set sail Mm -hmm. their larger lifeboat was either broken or mishandled in such a way that they couldn't use it yeah so they originally were going to have more than just this yawl but they ended up just having the yawl this is why you need all of the lifeboats yeah guys at least they had enough room it's true unlike the titanic which literally didn't have enough lifeboats for everyone because the people who built it said that it made it look like they might need it. That's awful. It's so stupid. Yeah. The other side of this is the press and some authors start writing about this because it became famous. And a lot of the a lot of the articles that were published in the news took extreme liberties and embellished on the story. So there are some accounts of this missing missing letters and bottles showing up that describe the whole incident. Someone claimed to have found a letter that was next to a skeleton on an island and it said my ship the Mary Celeste was, you know, the the crew attacked each other and, mm-hmm. and you know killed off the captain and um there's this whole fight and then it goes into a lot of detail and some someone published this and it was sort of a news item mm-hmm. no, sensationalist sensation news. yeah it's basically a tabloid thing yeah there was uh there was a lot of coverage basically and it led to some really good fun theories that i like to think about like one this is where like paranormal stuff comes into play with the mary celeste where someone says you know it has to have been something that it has to have been an unexplainable paranormal phenomenon like aliens um because mm-hmm. if you if you look at all the evidence it just doesn't add up like there's no way the captain would have left with all his crew without the ship being more damaged than it was um and pirates wouldn't have done that so you know there's a couple other things that we can look to and here they are and they're really crazy <laughs> so in 1884, in an issue of Cornhill Magazine, there was a story called J. Habakkuk Jepson's Statement. It was clearly a, a short story of fiction, not yes. a news yeah. article, so it was meant to be fiction. And it captured an account by J. Habakkuk Jepson, who was a survivor of the Mary Celeste, fictional survivor of the Mary Celeste. Yeah. Went into great detail about how they had been boarded by like pirates, basically. Yeah. And... Uh, this story was written by your famous Arthur Conan Doyle. Nice. Who was then 25 years old and was working with ships. Yeah. So he knew a lot about ships. He knew a lot about the Mary Celeste because it's kind of a famous news item. And he published this fun story about it. But this story was so popular, so much more popular than the actual Mary Celeste mm-hmm. that it eclipsed that yeah. original account. And it turned in to its own thing like it manifested itself so so much so that he actually misspelled mary celeste in his story it was like, yeah he like called it a different spelling yeah like, and and that spelling that alternative spelling is what most people after that kind of remembered it as yeah even though it was the fictional narrative that they were basing that off of some yeah. some news articles in the future oh well, some news articles after that story came out cited this like use the facts of this fictional yeah. story 
Yeah, it's also like very racist because. Yeah, I was actually reading a little bit more and it started making more sense to me. But yeah, yeah. it did. It does. It seems like pretty dated. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of movies and there's a Bella Lugosi movie where he's a hook handed sailor who murders everyone on board. Um, the Mary Celeste. There's a lot of movies about it. Of course, it was the hook handed guy. Oh, always. Like, also, like, how are you supposed to do your job, man? What do you mean? Like, if he's got two hooks for hands, he can't be Whoa, that Oh, he was double hook handed? Double hook hand. Oh, holy crap. Like, I'm, he was just brought I'm, on board to murder people, clearly. Yeah, or he's really good at his job, and I'm super impressed. So, was Bella Lugosi the hook handed guy? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I can imagine that. Um,. Yeah, there's a bunch of movies and books that involve the Mary Celeste. I think there's a Doctor Who episode. Oh, that doesn't surprise me yeah. either. Although Doctor Who's garbage. Hey, Christopher Eccleston was great. He's I haven't seen that underrated. Doctor, so fair. I'm not able to judge that one. Um, I liked it when I was in middle school. A lot of my friends like Doctor Who. Yeah. I just have to live with it. <laughs> You have a lot of salt towards Doctor <laughs> Who there. I had to watch it when I was in college because it was... Oh, yeah. You know, like... Yeah. A central theme and... Because you went to a nerd college and you're friends true. with nerds and nerds love Doctor Who. Yeah. So uh, there's actually another piece of the ship story that I forgot about. That well, yeah, the story's post- not even ending. Yeah, okay, the story is huge. The story is... This ship is cursed as fuck. Yeah. So they find the ship and they bring it back to land, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they're like, you know what? This is a perfectly good ship. We'll just keep using this ship, right? Mm-hmm. And so this guy bu- buys it. The next captain, Thomas L. Fleming, ran the ship until he sold it, I guess, to Gilman C. Parker, um, who brought it eventually to Boston and sold it to somebody else and... In November 1884, Parker conspired with a group of Bostonian shippers who filled the Mary Celeste with mostly worthless junk, like rancid butter, empty bass beer bottles, and old women's galoshes. Old women's galoshes and rancid butter? That's the best (laughs) ship cargo ever. Yum. Yum. (laughs) They misrepresented the ship's manifest and they said that it was worth $30,000, which is $800,000 in today money. Um, and set out for Port-au-Prince, which is the capital of Haiti. Um, on 1885, the Mary Celeste gets near the port in the channel between Genève Island um, and the Haiti mainland, which has a large and very well mapped coral reef which they promptly run her aground on okay well this thing is insured for eight hundred thousand dollars and it is filled with garbage so he uh he and the crew row themselves ashore totally fine yeah and sell the salvageable cargo for five hundred dollars to the american consul (laughs) um and institute insurance claims for the alleged value Uh uh-huh uh, so they salvaged like some of the good stuff from the ship. Well, so then the people go and they look at what's on the ship and yeah. they're like, hold on. I'm sorry. Yeah, why is there rancid butter inside this galosh? Yeah, literally like, this is just garbage. This isn't anything you said that was on this ship. If only they hadn't done that last piece and tried to make that extra 500 bucks, they would have gotten away with this. Well, um, yeah, I guess maybe. Because if they were like, oh, all the cargo's gone, here's my insurance claim, the insurance company will have been like, oh, well, I guess. I have to pay up. No, yeah, bummer. but they tried to make that extra 500 bucks, and somebody actually went and checked what was on the ship, and what did you think would happen? Like, they would just leave it there? That would be like, oh, I guess all the butter went bad. <laughs> Evidently, they had pasted bass beer bottle labels onto random bottles that had like were like a third full of old beer like runoff beer wonderful wonderful. yeah this is classic yeah these guys are pros yeah and a bear tree which is ruining a ship on purpose Mm -hmm. is a crime punishable by death 
Yeah, and it's a maritime law thing, right? Yeah. Like, it's a bad thing to do. It used to be punishable by death. Yes. Um, And so they they get arrested for this, and there's a trial, right? Mm -hmm. And what happens during the trial? So during the trial, they... They weren't convicted of baritry. The jury was undecided. It couldn't really make up its mind. And they eventually were not able to get paid the insurance claim, which makes sense. Um, so they were they were punished monetarily, but nobody was, was actually convicted and, and put in jail. Mm-hmm. But the person who had conspired to commit the fraud, Parker... Mm-hmm seemed to run into very bad luck after that. He was completely broke, and three months later, he died in poverty. And there's a quote that I think kind of sums up our entire episode about his death here, which also describes the proceedings of the trial. This is a quote from... Is this Beg? Uh, yes, this is a quote from an, an author who wrote about the Mary Celeste in a lot of detail in his book. So this is a quote from Mary Celeste, The Greatest Mysteries of the Sea by Paul Begg. If the court of man could not punish these men, the curse that had deviled the ship since her first skipper, Robert McClellan, had died on her maiden voyage could reach beyond the vessel's watery grave and exact its own terrible retribution. It's so metal. Yeah. The ship was wrecked on a barrier reef and it was still exacting. Still pissed. And so not only, I want to be clear here, not only did Parker, the guy who was kind of the criminal mastermind behind the insurance scheme, die in poverty three months after the trial, but one of his co-defendants went mad and another one committed suicide right after the trial. So it, there was a lot going on that is the sort of stuff that would happen if you were cursed. Yeah. Classic curse material. In 2001, Clive Cussler, the author, announced that he found the remains of the ship, um, but it was only a couple pieces of timber and metal that could be salvaged. Uh, The remainder of the wreckage lost within the coral, because coral grows. Um, And... It seems like maybe it wasn't actually because it was the wood came from trees in the state of Georgia, which would have been growing in 1894, about 10 years after the ship's demise. So the wreck has never been found. So the ship sort of just faded off the face of this earth. Yeah, it's within the coral now in its watery grave. Oh, with the Barnacle Boys. Yeah, with the Barnacle Boys be nice to have an addendum that's like okay and this is the family of parker who's cursed to this day like they're forever their lineage is forever tainted by the i don't think so though i think i think that's unfair i think cursing your family members is like uncool oh yeah totally but it would be a nice story to have to tack on to this yeah it's true to go that extra step that extra mile that the ship needs do you think it was Robert McClellan who cursed the ship because he died before it could be, he could sail it? Or so, do you think it was cursed from the beginning and he died because of the curse? So his sick dying breath was like, ship, if it weren't for you. Yeah. I Better think, treat this ship nice or else. I think that he was cursed by the ship. I think so too. Which makes me think like, what, what was the curse started from? Like, was the wood stolen from a Native American burial ground? That would be good. Yeah, that's a little tacky, though. Like, that happens I don't care. in all... <laughs> it's, it's always like a Native American burial ground, right? I mean, they have a lot of, to be angry about. It's entirely valid. Yeah, that's true. But... I think that's a very are, legitimate and understandable curse. Who are we to base all our curses on them? Like, it's what, true. Can we, we should have more imagination. Well, yeah, so, so since it was a ship built, like, in the 70s, 1870s... Yeah, um, in Nova Scotia. What was going on in Nova Scotia in 1870? I have no fucking idea. All, all sorts of shit that I can tell you about because I went to a million museums in St. John and New Brunswick. Oh, yeah? And all of it was maritime shipping. So, wait, tell me about it. What was going on? Um, a whole portion of downtown Halifax exploded because there was a ship with gunpowder on it that exploded in the harbor. Oh. And like 
a bunch of people died. It was worse than Dang. the Boston Massacre. <laughs> the the Boston Massacre was a giant molasses Flag. tank exploded and killed cov- thirteen people. It covered people with sticky, gooey, sweet stuff. Yeah, it moved at like six miles an hour, which is honestly faster than I can run for any length of time. So well, I would have died. You would have died if you were close to the. the- yeah. I would have gotten very tired in like after a mile. Yeah, anybody would get tired running in molasses also. Also that like when people drowned in molasses, it was like a very sad thing. Yeah. But also It makes a good story, but it's so sad. It's very sad, but also the Boston Molassacre is my favorite thing to say in the world. That is a good I've never heard that before. And then my friend Leah made it up. TM copyright. (laughs) You hear that everybody Creative Commons, you cannot steal that without crediting Leah. Everybody knows our podcast is actually licensed under the uh, Creative Commons attribution. Share and share alike. Yep. So feel free to use it in your creative works. But please link us because we worked really hard to come up with it at the yeah. newspaper. Also, you should pay Leah a few bucks just as Cents. a buy her one beer. Yeah. One one beer. Buy, buy her a bottle of molasses. Yeah. Oh God! Please don't. <laughs> I live with her. It'll be so sticky. Three different bottles of molasses showing up at your house. Yeah. (laughs) Every day. (laughs) Okay. Well, so that's ghost ships, guys. If you have good maritime spooks, please do send them to us because I enjoy being terrified of the ocean. Thanks for listening, everybody. The only reply is an eerie creaking. No one appears on deck. The ship is completely forsaken.